Great, good to see you all. We are nearing the final section of our series uh, through the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, do turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20, Paul is in the middle of his third missionary journey. Uh, if you were with us a couple of Sundays ago, Joe spoke about this, this mighty spiritual battle that was kicking off in the city of Ephesus. It's a battle that obviously still very much continues today. It was also a battle that Paul was very keenly aware of. You know, he said, we, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities of this dark age. But it was a battle he certainly wasn't afraid of. He knew his God. He knew the authority and the power that he had in Jesus Christ. He knew ultimately that Jesus had the victory. And if anything, this battle, this spiritual battle, helped to focus his missional mindset. And, and in chapter 20, if we're just going to give you a little catch up here, in chapter 20, he, uh, we see him leave the city of Ephesus after spending quite considerable amount of time there. Spent well over two years, up to three years in Ephesus, before heading back through Macedonia into Greece, where he spends about three months there. And then he retraces his steps, if you can see on the map, back through Macedonia. But interestingly, he decides not to go back through Ephesus, but to meet the leaders of Ephesus in a place called Miletus. There was very much a sense of urgency for Paul. He wanted to get to Jerusalem as quick as possible. He had been collecting a financial gift from the churches in and around Macedonia to give to the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to get there before Pentecost. So there was a real sense of urgency. Plus, Paul being Paul, there was a real sense of being guided by the Holy Spirit. He knew the Holy Spirit wanted him in Jerusalem. But before he goes, as I said, he gathers these leaders from the church in Ephesus just to share his heart one last time with them. And, it, and we have this really quite emotional and very poignant dialogue, discourse with these leaders. We're going to pick up from verse 18 in chapter 20. When they arrived, that's the uh, leaders from the church in Ephesus, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jew and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How encouraging. Verse 24, however, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today, I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. You know, he takes this responsibility to share the gospel really seriously, and so should we. He then gives them instructions to look after themselves and to look after the church, the flock under their care, and he commits them to God's grace. And we read in verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to his ship. We'll find out next week that Paul does indeed get arrested in Jerusalem And we enter the final section of the book of Acts, which is all about his trial and his ultimate arrival in Rome. And it's interesting because in many ways, Luke is mirroring his own gospel. If you remember his own gospel, the final section is all about Jesus setting his face like flint, heading to Jerusalem, knowing full well what faced him there. And here, as we approach the final section in Acts, we now see Paul in a similar vein, setting his face to Jerusalem. Again, knowing the cost, again, knowing full well what he will expect to receive. He knew the cost. But I think it's important to remind ourselves again, as we've said throughout this series, that Paul was no superhero. You know, we can kind of read Acts and say, well, Paul's Paul. You know, of course he does these sort of things. I'm not Paul. But he was no superhero. He was an ordinary guy who, like us, has encountered an extraordinary God that completely changed the direction of his whole life. His whole life. But one thing really stands out with Paul. And it's something that God has been reminding us about this morning in the songs that we've been singing and in the words that have been coming, prophetic words and and heart cries, is that in every aspect of Paul's life, he was fully surrendered to Jesus. Totally surrendered to Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means to live a life of true surrender to Jesus. As I said, God's already been speaking to us through the worship about laying our lives down, coming to the cross, knowing it's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with his grace as we surrender afresh our lives, as we die to ourselves daily to live for Jesus Christ. And you know what? 
all of Paul's achievements, all the, the churches that he planted that went on to plant other churches, all the Jews and Greeks that responded to the gospel, all the cities he reached, all the bodies that were healed through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all the, all the people that were set free from demonic oppression, it was all for Jesus. And it was all done through Jesus by the power and enabling of his Holy Spirit. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for his fame. It wasn't for his job satisfaction or kudos. It wasn't to prove anything to himself. It was simply born out of a love for the one who loved him enough to literally stop him in his tracks on that road to Damascus and save him and give him a new hope and a new life, a second chance. You know, to the Philippians, this is the sort of language of surrender, okay? To the Philippians, Paul says, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. He goes on, I count everything as loss that I might gain Christ. Jesus had completely captivated him, hadn't he? In Galatians, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. To the Colossians, he says, my life is hidden in Christ. It's not me, a little bit of Jesus. My life is totally hidden in Christ. And here we, we read to the Ephesian elders. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. That is some statement, isn't it? Can we honestly say, I've, as I was preparing this, I was so challenged by this. Can I, cons, can I actually hand on heart say, I consider my life nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me. So challenging, isn't it? It gets right to the heart of our identity. It gets right to the heart of our self, our pride. Paul's life was a model of surrender to Jesus. Nothing was of, was of greater value. Nothing else mattered more than this race, this mission that God had called him to. And the challenge to us is this. If we truly surrender our whole lives, as Paul did, as we've been encouraged again to do this morning, we too can be as effective as Paul in our race, in the race that God has marked out for me and for you. Do we believe that? Your race is different from Paul's. Your race is probably different from the person sitting next to you. But if we truly surrender our lives wholly to Jesus, we can be as effective in our race. The key to this effectiveness, the key to this joy and this passion is simply a surrendered life. It's a surrendered life. You know, one of the reasons why I love water baptism, wasn't it great? Seeing Karen and Nikhil getting baptized last Sunday. You know, water baptism is such a powerful 
demonstration of surrender, isn't it? It's a powerful demonstration of dying to your old self and living for Jesus. It's a demonstration that those who are called to follow Jesus are called to die to themselves, to take up their cross. That's what it means daily. And as Jesus said, we find our lives by laying our lives down. I mentioned the other Sunday that uh, I spent time at a Middle East uh, prayer event and a little conference there, and I got talking to some of the people who were preparing to move out to some pretty hostile areas when it comes to Christianity. And I'm not going to mention any names or countries, obviously, as, as these talks go online, but what struck me was the sacrifices they were willing to make, you know, in following this race that God had clearly set out for them for that particular season of their lives, you know, sacrificing home comforts, sacrificing familiarity, sacrificing seeing their friends and their family, huge sacrifice. One woman I was speaking to in particular was quite concerned, well, a little concerned really, how she would be treated as a woman in that particular country, how she would cope with all the strict dress laws that she would be required to wear, you know, not being able to enjoy the freedoms that that we enjoy here. And yet, what was true for all of those people preparing to, to move out was just was just this focus, this overriding focus that they had an opportunity to love and serve a people that God had put on their hearts, that God had put on their hearts, overriding all their concerns and all their their apprehensions was this joy and excitement that God was going to use them to reach a people that they loved. There was real faith there. You know, I was so challenged I was so challenged speaking to them. Thank you. The thing is, in the UK, I know I find this particularly, it's very easy to get comfortable, isn't it? It's very easy to get complacent in our own spiritual walk. Our faith is often described as a muscle. And like any muscle, if it's not exercised, it gets weaker. If we're not stepping out and exercising our spiritual muscles, we get spiritually weak. And of course, the truth is, this spiritual battle that Joe was talking about a few weeks ago is just as prevalent here in the UK as it is in the Middle East. And it's getting less and less subtle all the time. And as a church and as individuals, we need to really intentionally be stretching and exercising our spiritual muscles. You know, whether that's stepping out like James did, as he testified this morning, in in speaking to someone about Jesus, about his faith. I'm going to step out in faith here. Maybe that's stepping out in prayer, stepping out and actually asking someone, do they want prayer? Stretching and exercising our spiritual muscles. Whether that's stepping out into new areas, stepping out into increasingly sacrificial giving, Maybe it's stepping out and just wanting to grow in the Word of God, really committing yourself to grow in understanding. I want to grow. I want to grow in my faith. I want to stretch those spiritual muscles. 
You know, it's, it's, it's all stuff we know about. It's not new, it's not rocket science, but the truth is, are we putting what we already know into practice daily? I know that if I want to run this race well that God has marked out for me, I need to be really exercising those faith muscles. And I really feel that God is it's kind of drawing our focus back to the race that he has marked out for us as a church, as individuals, back to this mission. This is why we've called the whole series Missional. It's so easy to get complacent and we need to throw off complacency. We need to actually believe that God has a far greater destiny for you and me and for this church. You know, we're so thankful for all that God is doing, but he's got far more, hasn't he? He's got far greater destiny for us. And ultimately, it is only through surrendering our whole lives to God that he can truly accomplish what he wants to accomplish in us and through us. That's the bottom line. So very briefly, let's look at Paul's example from this passage. I'm just going to draw out two Two areas that really spoke to me as I was preparing on Friday. And the first area is that a life of true surrender to Jesus is shown in our relationships. Our surrender to Jesus is shown in the way we react and treat one another. And in this passage that we've just read, what is clear is that Paul's motivation was one of love. There's real deep affection here, isn't there? As they weep and embrace together, it's clear that Ephesus wasn't just another city to tick off the list. This church wasn't just another church that he can put on his to-do list, cross it off, move on. No, there was real affection here. He poured his heart and his soul into these people. We must never forget as we focus on our race and on this mission, that actually, first and foremost, we're called to love. We're called to love people. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, you know, if we don't, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Paul goes on saying in verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. Don't you just love the fact that Paul is so honest with the people he's serving? He's not trying to paint a picture of Apostle Paul got it all together. He's using his life as an example, but he's, he's totally honest with them. He's honest with them about his total reliance on God's grace. He's honest with them that he finds things hard, that he struggles with things, that he doesn't have it all together. You know, he doesn't come across like he was the man, you know. Actually, I'm totally reliant on the grace of God here. Totally honest with them. There was also a complete selflessness here. Have you seen that? Verse 34, we read, he said, You yourselves know, actually we didn't read that, I missed that bit out, but you can read it at home. I'm going to quote it here. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Again, isn't that amazing? He doesn't even want to be a burden to the churches he's visiting. So he makes tents. 
He provides for himself and his colleagues. Doesn't want any special treatment. I'm here to serve. I'm here to put you first. It's powerful, isn't it? He goes on saying, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it's more blessed to give than receive. You know, you can read these passages and there's others like it and you think, wow, Paul, you're kind of a bit full of yourself, aren't you? You talk a lot about yourself. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. I think it's a bit big-headed, isn't it? It's a bit like someone saying, look how humble I am. It's like, really? And yet, if, if you come to that conclusion, you have really missed his heart. Because Paul's heart here is he's, he is saying, he's using his life as an example to show that a truly surrendered life is a life of serving others. It's a life of service to others for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of his gospel. He's using his life as an example, or to put it another way, you know you have surrendered to Jesus when you love others above yourself, when you're prepared to carry another person's burdens, when you're prepared to celebrate with others, you know, when you mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with, rejoi- with those who rejoice, when you celebrate someone else's breakthroughs and victories. It's massive. You know, it's when you can honestly celebrate with that person who has got that promotion that you haven't, who's got that job when you haven't, you're still waiting, yet you can celebrate with them. You can celebrate with that person who's just announced their engagement, you're still waiting. You can celebrate with that person who's just announced their pregnancy and you're still waiting. It's huge, and it's not easy, but it means I am surrendering my whole life to Jesus. Jesus is enough for me. Jesus, you are enough for me. I will await your timing. I will await your agenda. And as we do that, we receive. It opens the door to his healing. It opens the door to his grace to be able to keep walking our race. It's massive. We know we're surrendered to Jesus when we refuse to take offense, but choose to forgive. You know, I often say it's hard for a dead person to get offended. I don't know if you've heard that before. It's hard for a dead person to get offended. It's true. And if we've truly died to ourselves, then we don't have to take offense. We don't have to react to criticism badly. We don't need to to rush to defend ourselves or to demand our rights because we've died to ourselves. We're living for Jesus. When we get offended or when somebody offends us, we just take it to Jesus. We ask him for the grace and the wisdom to deal with it. Why? Because I'm dead. My life's hidden in Christ. You know, if you're the sort of person who does get easily offended, and God's been speaking to me a lot about this over the years, you know, my my encouragement to you is 
really just check your heart. Because so often when we get offended, it's because we, somebody's hit a raw nerve. Somebody's hit an area of our life that we haven't actually surrendered to God, which is why it hurts. We're still festering. And we can use that sense of, whoa, I'm reacting really quite strongly in that. Take it to God, ask him, show me, is there an area of my life that I haven't actually surrendered to you? And then do it, release it to him and ask him to heal that hurt and that pain. It really gets to our pride. It's quite a good indicator of our pride. We know we surrender to Jesus when we don't try and manipulate or control situations for our own personal gain, but can trust God's agenda, trust him to work things out. You know, all of this, it's basically a wholesale removal of self, isn't it? It's a wholesale removal of self. And as I said, it gets right to the heart of our pride. And, and pride is probably the biggest stumbling block in surrendering to God, particularly when it comes to relating to people. Because you know what? We love to be self-sufficient. We love to be in control. But it, it, it's like Jesus is saying to us, even this morning, just see what I can do with your life. If only you will fully surrender it into my loving hands. Just see what I can do with your life. True surrender is shown in our relationships, in the way we put others before ourselves. But it's also shown in our priorities. In our priorities, in the way we put God's agenda above our own. And again, this is so clear with Paul's life. It's so clear what his priorities are. Every step of the way, he chooses to follow the Holy Spirit. You know, re even right at the start of his ministry, you know, he thought, look, I am qualified to be a light to the Jews. I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and yet God had other ideas. Actually, I've called you to be a light to the Gentiles. Really? And he went with it. And we know the story. You know, Asia and Europe just open up for the gospel. God knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't he? He could have chosen the safe options. He could have stayed in Antioch, couldn't he? Had a lovely pastoral ministry there, thriving, growing church, wonderful leadership team. He could have played it safe, could have stayed in Corinth. There was a lot of need. Would have made him feel good about himself. I'm really needed here. You know, he could have stayed in Ephesus. I've built some strong relationships and friendships here. We've got such a bond and yet neither of those, none of those were actually a real option for him. Why? Because he had bonded his will to God's. God's agenda was his agenda, which is why he says in verse 22, compelled by the Spirit. Compelled means literally bound to the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. You know, if, if pride is a big stumbling block in the way we surrender our lives in, you know, particularly in our relationships, fear is probably the biggest stumbling block to us surrendering to God's plans. But the truth is, again, as we've been singing about this morning, we have a God who is sovereign. We have a God who is in control. We have a God who loves us with an everlasting love, who knows us better than we know ourselves. 
We can trust him. We can follow his path, even when we don't have all the answers like Paul, not knowing what will happen to me there, even when we don't know the next step. We can trust him. Even when we can't make sense of the current situations and circumstances, we can trust him. Even when his timing in our eyes is a little late, we can trust that his timing is perfect. But it requires us to take responsibility and actively follow. I love this quote from John Ottberg. He wrote a book called When the Game's Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. It's just full of little little short chapters. He says this, surrender is not passivity or abdication. It is saying yes to God each day. Surrender opens me up to God's blessing. That was Paul's testimony. And I know it's many of our testimonies as well. Again, that heart cry from Amy. And if you look, just surrender your life to me. It opens the door to healing. It opens the door to wholeness, to fresh vision, to hope. Opens the door. Paul's will was fully surrendered to God's will. You know, as we read his epistles, it's just the language again of surrender. He talks to the different churches. I long to be with you if God is willing. <laughs> I hope to be with you soon, you know, if, if it's God's will or if the Spirit permits. We've read the Spirit compels me or the Spirit has stopped me. He was continually in tune with the Holy Spirit. We spoke a bit about this when we spoke about being guided by God. But he was being constantly attentive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. It's the language of surrender. You know, man, you know... Or guards his steps, ordains his steps, but uh, actually, no, it's the God who ordains his steps. The man plans his way, but God ordains his steps. It's that way, isn't it? All the time. We think, no, no, I'm going this way. Surrendered life. God, you've got a race marked out for me. And yet, you know what? All that Paul was doing was simply following the example of Jesus, who lived a fully surrendered life willingly submitted to his father, willingly surrendered his whole life to the cross, willingly said, not my will, but yours be done. You know, it's what Jesus asked us to do. Follow my example. It's what Paul's saying. Follow my example. As a family, we've been looking at the story of Gideon over breakfast time. It's always a bit manic. But uh, if you don't know the story, Gideon is met by God, who Gideon describes himself as the least person from the weakest clan. He had a bit of an inferiority complex, to say the least. God comes to him and says, mighty warrior. And again, if you don't know the story, God asks him, calls him, to rescue the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites who were basically bullying them, to say the least. And he does it with just Gideon leading 300 men, totally defeats them. Yet before he goes into battle, God tells Gideon to tear down his family's idols, these idols to foreign gods, 
And as we were reading that as a family, I just felt, wow, I just felt God really reminds me afresh that before we can be more effective in this spiritual battle that we are in, each of us, all of us, need to make sure that any idols, that's anything that takes priority in your life over God, any idols are torn down in our lives. That could be things like possessions or ambition, personal ambition, finances, self-gratification. It's all about me and self and comfort. Self-glory. It's all about my position. And he wants us to lay all these things down. You know, someone once said you can tell what your idols are, but what you spend most, time, what you spend most of your time daydreaming about. What do you spend, where, where does your mind drift to? What do you start daydreaming about? It's kind of a good indication to what your idols are. But God's invitation to us, and it is an invitation, is to lay these temporal, hollow priorities, because that's what they are. They're hollow. Lay these temporal, hollow priorities down that we might live life to the full that we might live an effective life, a flourishing life. What does a sacrificed life look like? It looks like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaves do not wither, bear fruit in season. You know, if a tree decided to uproot and I can do this on my own, it's not going to last very long, is it? Again, it's all about coming back to the source, being totally reliant on him. A life of effectiveness. And perhaps one of the greatest enemies to an effective life is a life crammed full of ineffective activity. You know, busy doing stuff that actually God has not called us to do. I don't want that for my life. Paul doesn't want that for our lives. He doesn't want that for the Ephesian leaders. He doesn't want that for you. And I know you guys don't want that. There's a race to run. There's a crown to gain. (laughs) There's an abundant life, a real life to live. In Paul's testimony, 10 years after he speaks this heartfelt message, he writes to Timothy in chains. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He lived a surrendered life in the service of others for the glory of God. What a, what a, what a testimony he had. What a legacy he left. You know, none of us are forced to surrender to Jesus, but we are invited to. We are invited to. Maybe if the band could come up, I think it would be good to respond As I said, God's obviously been speaking to us in our time of worship. You know, I don't know about you, but I would far rather God was calling the shots over my life than I was. For one thing, he's got a lot more experience than me. He's got a lot more qualifications than me to run my life. And you know what? When he asks me to do something bigger than I can do myself... 
then in many ways the ball's in his court. It's his idea. And that's the way to live, isn't it? Relying on his grace, stepping out beyond our own expectations, stepping out beyond our own preconceived limitations. It's, it's an exciting way to live. And anyway, isn't that the essence of worship? Surrender is all about trusting and obeying. It's all about laying your life down. It's the heart of worship. And the bottom line is this. It is only as we place our whole lives in his loving hands that he can truly produce something that is beautiful, that is miraculous, and that is lasting in each of our lives. That's what I want for all of us. Amen.